Welcome to the Nonfiction Writers, podcasting in a great way from all three sides of the ball. I'm Ryan Aber from the Oklahoma and NewsOK.com, here with fellow OUB writer Joe Masato and columnist uh, Barry Trammell. A day after Oklahoma's Orange Bowl lost to Alabama, and uh, Joe, this game wound up being in the framework of what I think a lot of us expected, which was a lot of points put up by both sides, but Alabama being uh, just a little bit too much. How it got there, though, was much different. Yeah, got to the shootout, just got there way too slowly. Uh, from OU's perspective, the 28 to nothing hole, I mean, that sort of sapped all the drama um, and all the interest out of the game, even though Oklahoma basically outscored Alabama the rest of the way. But, you know, at some point, I, I think the defensive intensity in which Alabama showed when they go on that 28 nothing run to start, probably, you know, pump off the gas a little bit uh, after that. But Oklahoma's offense did seem to really settle down. It, it just it just never got to the point, even when it got to 11 a couple times, never got to the point where the result was really in question. Yeah, Barry, there, there didn't seem to me uh, much drama after that uh, quick start by Alabama. They, they hold the Sooners in check offensively really quickly and do what I think a lot of us expected them to do to Oklahoma's defense right out of the gate. Yeah, you know, the uh, the Sooners put up, I thought, a pretty good fight. When you look at it, Oklahoma was not as good as Alabama. We all knew that. One, Both teams had great offenses. OU's probably a little better. One, uh, The defensive difference is massive. And when the Sooners did get back in the game, three times they cut it to 11 points. The first two times, Alabama went down and scored touchdowns without ever facing third down. So, OU was even incapable of putting up a fight against that Alabama defense. I mean, Alabama offense. And then the last drive, Alabama just sort of sucks the clock away. In some ways, Nick Saban proved himself to be a humanitarian. Tua only threw 27 passes. <laughs> if he'd have thrown 47 passes, Alabama might have scored 82 points. Um, OU was really... You know, when you think about some of the highlights of this game, you think of Josh Jacobs running over the Sooners and the Alabama, Barnes and- Alabama massively just pushing OU around. But the truth is, anytime Alabama threw, it was just, you know, the hallelujah chorus for the, for the uh, Alabamas. So uh, just not really capable of stopping Bama, which meant the offense had to play perfect. Uh, by the third play of the game, we knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Second down sack, third down sack, and you thought, uh-oh, this is not good. And it wasn't. I mean, and, it, and it wasn't good. Yeah, it, it wasn't good, but at the time, the, the press box talk was, is this going to turn into another USC game? It did. In fact, it did. It was 38-10 USC at halftime. Well, yet last night was 31-10, so that was in the ballpark. But to the Sooners' credit, they didn't quit. They came back, and they made it interesting – they didn't make it – they never threatened to win, but they made it interesting. If you're watching at yeah. home, you didn't really turn away because Kyler Murray's so exciting, and they kept scoring touchdowns. And, you know, the Sooners scored touchdowns in the last three drives. Yeah, They got the ball four times. In the, in the second half, they got the ball four times, and they scored 24 points. Yeah. So, you know, you can't put too much on this OU offense. And you really can't say anything about about the OU defense. They played exactly like you thought they would. <laughs> it, it, exactly. And, and Joe, I wanted to, to get to you on this. Uh, the three of us had been talking and a couple other uh, beat writers around in the press box 
were talking, and I, I said it pretty forcefully at the time that it happened. Uh, Lincoln Riley makes two decisions to kick field goals. Uh, once there with, uh, what, about five minutes into the, the second quarter when they kicked the, the first field goal, and then uh, and then late or on the first drive of the second half. So the first field goal cuts it to 28-10. to 10. Oklahoma's down 28-7 to 7 at that point. And then the second field goal, just both of them 26-yard field goals, pretty short. Uh, first drive of the second half, Oklahoma goes on a, a drive that lasts over five minutes. It stalls out there. With the third and short, wasn't incredibly short, but I was surprised, given the situations in both those points in the game, that Lincoln Riley made the decision to uh, kick field goals instead of going for touchdowns. Yeah, I, I was surprised too. And I, I think, you know, you were saying people on Twitter were disagreeing on some of those. Of course, that makes sense. But I, I just look at, okay, Oklahoma was down 21 in, in both of those situations. Um, so you had 28-7, they cut it to 28-10. You had 31-10, they cut it to 31-13. I mean, just in my mind, that didn't do much to put OU back in the ball game. Now, maybe they're completely out of it if they don't convert on a couple of those field goals. But if those field goals turn into touchdowns, all of a sudden, you know, you're going 31-14 perhaps and getting that much closer. I, I just didn't think in the grand scheme of things, field goals really helped OU when your defense really can't pose a threat against Alabama's offense. So your offense has to do all of the work and put as much points on the board as possible. Yeah, Barry, I thought that Lincoln Riley, you know, for all the talk about Oklahoma's defense struggling, you know, he said that they believe internally in it and was positive about it. But I thought Lincoln Riley at times coached like he uh, didn't know just what position his defense was in uh, in that game. I mean, you, he seemed to have an excessive confidence in yes, the defense. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's part of it. On the other hand, they were fourth and fives, and I can sort of see it. Here's the truth about that 34-point game by the OU offense and Kyler Murray's monster game, 100-something yards rushing, 300-something yards passing. Nothing came easy. This right. was not a bunch of guys <laughs> running free. Think about all the plays C.D. Lamb made. He wasn't just running free. Think about the 49-yard touchdown pass to Rambo. That wasn't, hey, just throw it up there and let him – that was – an unbelievable throw and a good catch by Rambo and two Alabama guys, you know, right there with him. Everything came hard to that OU offense. And I think he just – I think he just played the odds. I think he said it's less than 50-50. We're going to make it on fourth and five. In his, now, I don't think he would ever say that, but I think in his mind that's what he knew. And he said, you know and, – and, and I think in, in, in retrospect – can't beat Alabama kicking field goals unless you need one right at the end of the game. Got to score touchdowns. Yeah. I, I will say, other, but 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 here's the deal: two fourth and fives. He kicks the field goals, gets six points. What if he if he makes if he makes it on fourth and five twice? Well, then he gets fourteen points. If he makes it once, it's seven points. The odds are probably make it once, probably not make it twice. Well, so it ended up about the same. It, it does end up about the same, but I think coaches sometimes. Um, Go safe where the odds say you'd be better off taking the risk. We talk about what Pulaski Academy does in Arkansas with always or never punting and uh, always onside kicking. Uh, 
the statistics say that you wind up more successful if you do that uh, when you're talking about field position and the, the amount of times you can be successful. Oklahoma last night averaged 6.8 yards per play, which is a, a pretty good number. If they get 102, it's, uh, they barely come out ahead, but they come out ahead. You get both of them, and you're in uh, a much better position as it's, uh, you know, you're within a field goal at that point at 45-42. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you probably need to go all hands on deck. But I will say this, the metrics about going for it on fourth down, I'm not really sold on them when it's fourth and longer than two or three. Now, fourth and five against Alabama is a tough – that's a tough call. Fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three. But I, Always go for it. But yeah. fourth and five is a – I mean, that's a crapshoot. But I'd also say those metrics are figured on an average defense on the other side, not – well, one, uh, obviously not a, a great defense in Alabama, but two – not your own team having a defense that you know uh, struggles to make any t- other team work to score much. Yeah, I mean, when you got Alabama's defense, Oklahoma's offense, you're talking about Godzilla against uh, against King Kong. So it's not you know you can't pretend it's uh, two uh, eighth graders fighting on the playground. But so it's all interesting. You know, if you give OU four more points each of those times, you know the game's a lot. A lot closer in theory, but it probably means two is going to throw more, which means, <laughs> you know, here comes more Alabama cavalcade of points. So uh, the truth is Alabama was dang near unbeatable this year. Um, yeah. We'll see if Clemson can do it, but uh, the, this, is a, this is a team. I was telling Joe before the podcast, it's bad timing for Oklahoma. Bad timing. They caught Alabama when the Crimson Tide is – they're usually great thing on defense. And, oh, yeah, they got a quarterback for the ages. Uh, and they've entered the 21st century offensively. Yeah. So, just bad timing. And I, I think just watching that game, it it's sort of talking about Alabama's defense. It's kind of alarming to look at that defense versus what we watch week in and week out. I mean, there really is a physicality difference. There seemed to be a huge speed difference. And, obviously – they would have they're the best defense Oklahoma's faced all season but I think you know we talked about this last night just on that first possession those two sacks first time Kyler Murray was sacked on back-to-back plays all season he gets he gets dragged down one time and it's like whoa like we would have never (laughs) seen that against any other uh yeah he gets dragged down by one hand grabbing his sleeve it wasn't uh you know, it wasn't like a guy wrapped him up and, and pulled him down. This was just – And this has pure. nothing to do with last night's game, but I've seen this in a bunch of other games. I think there's a – if I'm an offense, I don't like these new jerseys people are wearing because I've seen it a bunch. I've seen in several games this year, guys grab a jersey and the, the, runner, the runner with the ball will literally separate himself from the, from the defender for two yards, <laughs> but that jersey – just stretches like crazy stretches and he they're able to slow him down just because those jerseys stretch so much and if you just hang on uh reinforcements are going to (laughs) arrive in the old days you could they wouldn't stretch like that and you just had to let go yeah well they wouldn't stretch and then of course they had the old tearaway jerseys auburn auburn was the king of the tearaways those were cool (laughs) well 
just, just going back to that point, you I don't thought you know what I, we're talking I, about I, on Terraway yeah, Jersey. No, you know what we're talking that's, about. That's why I had to switch. You have any idea? Really do you have any idea what we're talking about on Terraway Jersey? I've heard of them. I've never. They really seen were like them. papers. Be like wearing paper, <laughs> uh, like like wearing a, a thin paper around, around uh, as yeah. a jersey. Probably would have been good for Kyler Murray last night. Would be oh, great. it would have yeah. because on that first one the. Defender just would have been left holding uh, yeah. <laughs> a handful of, of uniform, <laughs> a white fabric, as Kyler Murray's probably 40 yards down the field. Yeah. Yeah. Well, b- before the game, we talked a ton about Quinn and Williams and that defensive line. But so if you just compare OU's defense to Alabama's defense, obviously you can't do that. But I think the biggest difference between Alabama and OU and a lot of teams they faced is the defensive line. And, you know, we talked about. Neville Gallimore's had a great season for OU. Absolutely no disrespect to him, but at Alabama, you know, he's contending for maybe a two-deep spot. He's probably not starting along that defensive line. It just shows you when you can put a little pressure on a guy like Kyler Murray. They didn't really contain him, but they slowed him much more. Like Barry said, nothing really came easy, and I think that defensive line was the biggest difference. Yeah, they were. You know, I thought it was funny. I think it was Xavier McKinney that got the defensive MVP honors. And, and Xavier McKinney was really good last night. What was it? Four pass breakups, five uh, total tackles, three of them solo. Quinnen Williams was the the best defensive player in this He's game. Right. It wasn't even close. He had he only had uh, one assisted tackle. Uh, had the quarterback hurry, which of course was the big hit on Kyler Murray. That Lincoln Riley actually said was really the only big hit he thought t- Kyler took last night. Although it left him sort of bruised and battered, but. Uh, Quinn and Williams on the middle of that that defensive line changed the complexion of what Oklahoma was able to do. Uh, we'll, we'll talk here in a little bit about positive signs moving forward from Oklahoma that they can take for that game, and I think it, you know the job that Creed Humphrey did was part of that, but it just was this uh, another spotlight on the fact that Oklahoma has to find ways to get players, you know, not necessarily like Quentin Williams or Gerald McCoy, but guys who can at least hang around in the same ballpark. Yeah, it was – I thought the OU offensive line, of course they've been playing, you know, Iowa State and Texas and TCU. That's the level of top-level top defense they've been playing against. I took talk, thought it took that offensive line several possessions to sort of get accustomed to, you know, what they were going against. We always talk about how defenses have to adapt to the – up tempo and hurry up and uh, stuff of the OU offense, but I thought I thought that Alabama defensive line made Oklahoma take some time to adjust. They played much better later. Uh, they got the running game going some with Kennedy Brooks, um, but they were always a little bit uh, on the run. You know, Murray, even his best plays, he was scrambling. The touchdown pass to Rambo we talked about that was a he goes back and then scrambles he. Turns out he scrambled straight up into the pocket, but he was even on that play. He's 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 running for his life. Yeah, I wanted to bring up something about that play that I thought was interesting. We got a chance to uh, a, a few of us got a chance to chat with Lincoln Riley this morning on Sunday, and he said that's he wasn't really I don't want to say wasn't impressed, but he he wasn't just bowled over by that throw. He said that's a throw that we expect Kyler Murray to make. You know, he's done it all year. He said it just was a little awkward when he stepped up in the pocket. But he raved about Charleston Rambo and the way that he finished off that play. But uh, uh, let, me, it, let me say this about uh, uh, to Lincoln Riley. I was impressed with that throw. 
because he didn't set his feet and throw. Right. He threw that with a little hop. He threw that sort of the way a, a point guard makes a jump pass. That was a jump pass that went 55 yards in the air, 60 yards in the air, right on target. That was a heck of a pass. That might be the best pass I've seen him make because he's literally – on the run, run straight forward away from the Alabama rush, launched it by by jumping, and that's not what you're supposed to do as a quarterback. Yeah, I I, I said it last night, and I think a lot of people did. I thought that was his most impressive throw of the season. <laughs> so if Lincoln Riley's not giving him credit, here we are. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, start looking into the future. The number one topic right now for Oklahoma future-wise is who the defensive coordinator is going to be. Barry, uh, you got a chance to talk with Pete Golding early this week. Obviously, his name has been uh, been mentioned quite a bit, as has uh, uh, Ohio State's uh, defensive coordinator, whose name is completely Grinch. Different. Alex Grinch. Alex, Grinch, you're a sly right. one. I, I Mr. had Alex Grinch and, and just blanked on Grinch. That's got to be our. If they hire him, that's well, that, that's got to be our head, headline, doesn't it? Oh, of course. You're, you're a sly one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> Hope. Hope you're a sly one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, going back to this morning, though, Joe, Lincoln Riley said he wasn't going to, you know, the timeline on this wasn't going to be accelerated. He was going to uh, be deliberate on deciding who to bring in as a defensive coordinator. Of course, if you're targeting Pete Golding or Alex Grinch, you can be a little bit deliberate because both those guys still have – uh, games to coach and and Golding here uh, in another you know what is it nine days eight days from today so but uh, still that was a little bit surprising and also uh, Lincoln Riley said that he was gonna uh, you know wait until that move was made before deciding on the fates of the rest of the defensive staff yeah I mean it makes sense it some point because I mean if if Golding is the guy if Grinch is the guy you have to wait until those games are over if they're not I just think the speed in which you get a new hire in place isn't as important as it was before the early signing period I mean they've nearly completed their class for next season so you know there's there's nothing they have to do other than to start recruiting for 2020 uh, to show recruits that they have a defensive coordinator in place because they were able to get a pretty good haul of defensive recruits with all the instability, which was probably the most impressive part of signing day. So I think they can afford to wait. Surely Lincoln Riley has a short, short list of, of guys uh, that he's going to target. It's just a matter of time, and I just think the timing is the thing we don't know. Excuse me. Uh, Barry, uh, is there any chance – um, yes, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> think about the think about that question. Is there any chance? The answer is probably, is there any chance that uh, Alabama is, is recruits some chance? of its players from the planet Jupiter? <laughs> I think after last night, the answer is yes. Is there any chance that broccoli actually is not good for you? There's a chance. So I'm going to say yes. There is a chance. What is the question? <laughs> Is there any chance that anybody on the defensive staff hangs around yes. that's not named Calvin Thibodeau? Yes. Um, I think Kerry Cooks has a chance, and we talked about this. He hasn't had a defensive back develop in, what, five years, getting better significantly. Has not happened. But he apparently recruits the dog out of players. I mean, he I mean, signs a bunch of good players. Does it matter, though, when you recruit 
big time guys if you can't well, maybe you develop can, them? You know, they got so many staff. Maybe they can bring in a guy that coaches secondary and he can do something else. I don't know. Um, so I'm not saying he's coming back. I'm saying there's a chance. Because if you're going to do We're that, we're playing why some dumb and dumber. Just... We're doing some dumb and dumber here. Uh, yes, I'm saying there's a chance. Uh, I can't see Tim Kish coming back. Um, it looks like the linebacker recruiting has not been up to speed. That's what it seems to me. I don't know, but um, so I'm I'm thinking, and well, I especially think, with a lot of the guys that they had recruited that contributed and played were Mike Stoops recruits, right? Uh, not necessarily Tim Kish recruits, right? So I think, and I don't think I think Ruffin's going to retire as a coach, probably stick around in some sort of advisory role, but. So I, I think Kish, no. I think McNeil, no. I think Cooks, almost surely no. But there's a chance. That's the way I. That's that's the way I would see it. And and I think Thibodeau will be back. Yeah, I I would expect Thibodeau to be back. What what do you uh, think about the defensive side, Joe? Yeah, I mean, for the Thibodeau thing, it was, it was funny. I mean, I talked to Laurent Stokes before he signed, and basically he got assurance that Thibodeau would be back. And who knows? I mean. They might all be told that about their position coaches, but he's a guy that probably has the safest job back there. Uh, Kerry Cooks, just the way he recruits, I, I almost wonder with this the, the new 10th assistant that we've had the last couple of years, if you could almost have like a recruiting specialist on the defensive side. I mean, you've got – I don't know how you condense the roles, but maybe you have – instead of having outside linebackers, inside linebackers, you have a linebackers coach. Or instead of defensive ends, defensive tackles – you have a defensive line coach. I mean, I, I don't know how that would play out, but I think you do have some flexibility there. Um, but if it's judged on on-field performance, it would be a surprise if he was back. Uh, Ruffin McNeil is the one I'm you know, interested in just because he, he's been Riley's mentor for so long. They've been together their entire Riley's entire career. And I would just think that if Ruffin McNeil wants a spot in some capacity, he'll be back. But um, like Barry said, I think some some sort of advisory role makes sense. I don't think Ruffin McNeil is looking for that next job somewhere. Yeah, no, I'm uh, absolutely with you on that. Uh, let's talk uh, NFL draft real quick. There's several players to keep an eye on, uh, but at the top are are four really: Kyler Murray, uh, Marquise Brown, uh, Cody Ford, and uh, Bobby Evans. Am I missing anybody? Uh, no, I think that's it, isn't it? I think that's it. Yeah. I I, I think, think that's right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, on offense, I mean, barring well, I mean the, NFL's knock, the NFL's knocking down the doors of all of everybody on that defense, of course. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess I would assume that's it. So, let's, uh, let's start with the biggest one, which is Kyler Murray. Barry, what do you think Kyler Murray does uh, as he weighs? Uh, I've always thought he's going baseball. I know, there's more question in my mind than there used to be, but I still, um, I, I still think it's baseball. Scott Boris was at the game last night. I'm almost positive it was him. Uh, shared a hug with uh, Kyler after the game, so um, it's just a case of I think. All this NFL talk has made things interesting. But last night, in a way, helped, I think, fortify the baseball argument because Murray was great, 
but it still wasn't easy in terms of getting the ball over those Alabama guys, getting the ball into tight spots against good coverage. That's what you see every Sunday. It's not – and he's probably still got a better chance in football than baseball. But he made a commitment. He signed a contract. It was a unique contract opportunity, one that baseball teams rarely give. His agent is Scott Boris, who is master of the sporting universe. I just I don't see him walking away from the A's. And his uncle works for Scott Boris. So, I mean, there's there's family ties there. And I, I thought something that – I guess I hadn't really thought of it in this way before. But if Kyler keeps – even though he's wavered a little bit, but if he keeps saying he's committed to playing baseball and he's going to show up with the A's, well, an NFL team's not going to draft him in the first round. We, we talked about the salary numbers. Even if he's the last pick in the first round like Lamar Jackson was – if he turns out to be an average NFL quarterback, he'll probably make more money in football than he would even if he got to an all-star level in baseball, depending on longevity. Yeah. But uh, Todd McShay said last night that under what he's doing now – In an interview with the Oklahoman. <laughs> in an interview with the Oklahoman, which you can uh, read at newsok.com, said that Kyler Murray would likely be a day three pick right now if he shows up – uh, to training camp with the A's if he doesn't change his mind. Well, if he's a day three pick, I can't imagine that Kyler Murray's going to switch to football. Now, after two years in the Oakland A's farm system playing for the Vermont Lake Monsters or wherever he's at, he might decide to the go Midland back. The Midland Rockhounds. The Midland Rockhounds. He might decide to go back to football, but his clock restarts every year. NFL teams don't have any rights over these guys like baseball and basketball teams do. So he could potentially be drafted, who knows, the next five <laughs> years I don't know. Yeah. I don't – I think you guys will attest. I don't generally just throw out crazy ideas on these. <laughs> and I don't really foster wild – You just said Alabama could have players from Jupiter. <laughs> I said there's a chance. We don't know. We don't know where these guys come from. getting less crazy. <laughs> Although, were you talking – maybe you were talking about Jupiter, Florida. No, no. I, I, I should have thrown out uh, <laughs> Venus, Mars, and wherever. The rings of Saturn. You're, but, you're sounding like Jim Traber there. This so, planet or any other planet. But what if let's, – let's, let's get OU fans fired up here. <laughs> what if this is a plan that Kyra sort of pops into his mind? Hey, I'm going to go play baseball. I'm going to go report to wherever you report to for the Oakland Athletics. Mesa, Arizona. Mesa, Arizona. Ho-Ho Cam Park. Ho-Ho Cam Park. February – Year of our Lord, 2019. But let's say he does this. Has he graduated? Uh, I don't believe so. I don't think so. I don't think he has. What if he just, to help pass the time, because you have downtime in minor league baseball. In fact, it'll drive you nuts. What if he just... On the long bus rides, you're telling me? What if he just enrolls in a variety of online courses through the University of Oklahoma? what a bunch of guys do anyway i'm not sure the basketball team takes any classes in the in actually uh, brick and mortar what if he just did that and then this summer take a summer school class or whatever and then in august calls lincoln riley and say lincoln you know what baseball's going fine but i'm going to be through here in middle of august late august what if i just came back and played another year of football <laughs> I got a year of eligibility left. Haven't declared for the NFL draft. I miss football. I'll come back and play another season for you. What if he did that? 
Lincoln Riley would throw a parade down the streets of Allen, Texas. Is is what he would do. Well, there's got to be something in the baseball contract to prevent that. I mean, the well, I mean, from what Boris has said, the rule was one one year of college. Yeah, football. but the the baseball season, minor league season, ends in uh, at the end of August. Yeah. So, and it, I think this the only way it could work for him to play both is Lincoln Riley said, "Hey, you know, you've been around. We trust you enough. You'll be fine." Just come in, you know. Maybe you have to work your way in the first couple of weeks. Figure we'll figure out how yeah. to. to Got to be here by work. August twentieth. Whenever school yeah. starts. Got to be here when school starts. Right. But but hey, maybe maybe Oakland says that. Eh. I, well, I mean, I, I don't think I, Oakland would I, say. Yeah, I, I think, but I think I think I would <laughs> trade him if I was the Oakland days if he did that. <laughs> but I'm not. But here's the deal: you trade him, and he'd still have four point six million dollars in his pocket. Yeah. But that's my, my. Here's what I'm saying: I don't think it's going to happen. But it's not. It's There's a not chance. The craziest, it's, it's not the craziest thing that you brought up in this podcast. I, that is true. Think, that is true. I think a more likely thing is he just says, "I love playing football. I don't want to play." He could come out tomorrow and say, "I'm I'm not playing baseball anymore. I'm not reporting." He pays back whatever he has to pay back on the signing bonus. Then he gets a first round. He, he likely gets picked in the first round. He uses that money to help help pay back the A's, and he just plays football. Here, here's my here's the reason I even bring that up. He cannot play baseball and pro football at the same time no you can't do that and and lincoln you, riley this morning pretty well yeah, admitted you can't that do that i mean if you're Deion sanders and return punts and cover guys yeah it's one thing show up october you can do that yeah it's one quarterbacks thing when you're can't a, do that a cornerback it's one thing you're when you're a running back bo jackson <laughs> quarterback can't do it as a quarterback quarterbacks can't do it if he's but if he loves both sports and he wants to just because he lives only once and he just says let's do it if he wants to play baseball and football, keep doing it. That's the one way you could do it. Go play baseball for the A's minor league. Come back and play another year of college football. Try to win another Heisman. See what happens uh, on the football field. All right, we'll we'll get back to the uh, to the NFL draft, guys. But I want to get your takes. And Joe, I'll start with you first. Who will be the starting quarterback next year when Oklahoma faces a Houston team that we don't know who's going to be coached by at this point? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I think I'm – I don't know if this is an under-the-radar pick, but I think I'm going to go Tanner Mordecai. I think he's kind of – you know, I, I think Spencer Rattler, if he was an early enrollee, I think that would be the odds-on favorite. I think the Austin Kendall situation has not gone well necessarily. I mean, he, he graduated. I think that is a great sign that he's thinking about transferring. Um briefly passed him in the locker room last night he wasn't answering any questions um obviously knew the transfer question was going to come um if austin kittle comes back i think he'll be the guy but but if not uh, i think mordecai's probably got the best shot barry who's starting quarterback for the sooners on the next year's season opener i am going to say somebody not currently on the OU football roster or signed to a letter of intent. How's that? Yeah. I think it, I'm going to say a graduate transfer, and I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know who, <laughs> who it would be either. But It seems like it's Taylor. I always thought Austin Kendall's going to be the quarterback, and maybe I told you guys this on a podcast, but I heard Toby Rowland, who is not a guy that just goes out and throws out crazy ideas about OU football. He's the, he's the radio play-by-play guy. 
I heard him say on the radio two or three weeks ago, you know, Austin Kendall, we don't know if he's going to be back. And I thought, what? <laughs> and that made me think he really might be leaving. So if it's not him, I don't think it's going to be Rattler coming in, you know, in the summer. Mordecai is a solid to sit pick. But it seems like with Rattler coming in as such a high prospect, it seems tailor-made for a graduate transfer to come in and be a one-year guy, Russell Wilson type, whoever, and uh, be the quarterback between Murray and Rattler. Um, so that's my that's my pick, and I don't know have any idea. You know, Fields, I don't know who it is. Uh, he's not. He wouldn't be a graduate transfer. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Does he throw well enough? <laughs> that's the question. Does he throw well enough? Well, here's he, – but, but that's my pick. Graduate transfer so is my pick. Here, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say my pick is going to be uh, someone not on the current roster as well. But I think looking at the schedule next year, I think there's a not insignificant chance that Spencer Rattler winds up starting relatively early in the season. Because I, I think we all – believe that Spencer Rattler is going to be the most talented quarterback on campus. It's just a matter of getting him caught up in the system. But you look at their schedule next year. They start with Houston, a, a team that uh, appears to be in disarray. Looks like they're going to fire Major Applewhite at any moment. Who knows who's going to be their coach and who knows who they're going to be able to attract given uh, you know sort of the way that this thing has gone down. South Dakota, they play UCLA the third week. Yes, UCLA – was was better over the second half of the season, but I don't know, know that a lot of people expect them to be world beaters. And then Texas Tech and Kansas. So they've got a lot of teams in transitions there before they get to Texas uh, in the second weekend of October. So they've got some time for Spencer Rattler to get caught up there over those first uh, five games. It's an interesting thing. We just haven't seen – it's been years since we've seen – uh, any kind of quarterback upheaval. I guess what thirteen was really the the night Blake Bell deal yeah. was the only year really since the Jason White Nate Hibble days that we saw any kind of quarterback uncertainty. Everything else was injury related. So once in fifteen years has Oklahoma sort of had a had a uh, quarterback uh, in season type competition but it would be interesting if that was the case uh you could be right you could be right so um, yeah, and, and you know we see guys like trevor lawrence um at clemson we see guys that uh come in that are so good that you just you know georgia had a great quarterback great quarterback who took them to the national championship game and they still had a freshman who made it a battle royale for the starting job so if that can happen, you know, if – well, same with uh, with Clemson. Lawrence beat out a guy who'd been to the Final Four. So if that can happen, Spencer Rattler could beat out a bunch of guys that had never played. Yeah, so that'll be fascinating to watch. We'll, we'll do this really quick. Uh, uh, Marquise Brown, back or no, Joe? Uh, no, I don't think there's much chance of that if – Especially if he's a first-round pick. No, I, I read his tweet this morning. He's, he thanked Sooner Nation or apologized to Sooner Nation for not being able to help more last night, and I thought he's just going to tell us right now he's going pro. Then he didn't. 
but I assume he is. I assume he's gone. Yeah, I expect him uh, to be gone as well. Uh, Cody Fordberry? I assume. I assume. He's a pretty good player. I think I think he'll be a – he's not going to be a first-round draft pick, but in the NFL, you go second or third round, they'll stick you into the rotation on the offensive line. So, yeah. I think I think and, he's got a bright future. And I think Ford has, has bumped himself up where there is a chance if he performs well in camps and combines and things, he could be a first-rounder. Uh, Joe? Yeah, he seemed to be rising up boards this whole season, and it seems like he is pushing that first-round threshold. And if that's the case, I would think he's gone. All right, Bobby Evans, Joe, stick with you. Uh, I think it's, I, I, I don't know, maybe 50-50 on Bobby Evans. I may, Maybe I would actually lean more toward him staying. I don't think he's got the same status that, that Cody Ford does, but um, maybe with his you know friend Kyler Murray gone, he's going to head elsewhere. I, it might be advantageous for Evans to come back because a year ago he was. we all considered him sort of OU's best offensive lineman, even actually had a better year than Orlando Brown. Uh, and this year it seemed like he slipped down to where he's maybe uh, the least. Third, maybe, or, or fourth. Or fifth. fifth. I mean, everybody raves about Creed Humphrey. I don't – So he, I mean, well, let's rank Oklahoma's offensive lineman. Do, do, I mean, would you go with Ben Powers or Cody Ford as number one? Um, I don't know, and I think you can throw Samia in there. I mean, I think Samia had a really good year. So I think he's clearly fourth. No better than fourth, Bobby Evans, on his own team. Right. Yeah. And I just think if he came back, he'd have a chance to boost that status back to where he was, talking about Orlando Brown level. You know, I, he, some some people will advise him to do that. Others will say, hey, go get your money right now. Yeah, I'm going to say there's probably a 60% chance that he leaves, uh, but he's by far the one that, that uh, is most likely to stay amongst that group that we feel like could leave. Uh, we'll uh, try to take care of this relatively quick, but looking toward the future outside of the quarterback spots, what were uh, what was maybe – what's the bright spot amongst somebody who either – well, let's open it up to the entire defensive side and offensive players who we didn't see a ton of. I think, I think defensive-wise, uh, Ronnie Perkins is that guy I would look to mo- – <laughs> Sorry, got a got a little distracted. An we, infidel we, we sneaked into a into a hotel uh, conference room. But defensive side, I would go with Ronnie Perkins. I think just the way he came on late in the year. I mean, really early in the year, but it seemed like he got more playing time as the year went on. Um, you know, Buki Radley Hiles is a total wild card at this point, but he's a guy that they've got to get have step up. Delarian Turner, yell. It seems like they've got some guys, but I think. Perkins is the one they should probably be most confident in moving forward as far as a young guy. Yeah, what about you, Barry? Um, I'm not overly confident about anything on the defense um, other than I like Perkins. Um, I want to like Motley and Brown and Norwood. I just – and then I watch them play, and they get burned all the time. So uh, the defense just needs a massive overhaul, and I'm not sure anybody – if you're not a freshman, I'm not sure you're part of the solution. i just not. So I'm not excited about the defense at all. Um, I think next year they're going to have to outscore people again. 
And it reminds me of something Lincoln said. You know, Lincoln was sort of defiant after the game, saying, hey, we're going to win one of these tall, thin trophies, talking about the big bowl trophy in the next couple of years. He was he was wise to say not next year. You know, not going to happen next year. That defense needs a total overhaul culturally, structurally, uh, um, talent-wise. So that's not going to happen next year. Maybe in two years it can happen. Yeah, I to to avoid going uh, Joe's route with Ronnie Perkins, who I, I thought was was one of the bright spots when you look talk about the future. I'm going to go with Charleston Rambo, who I brought up earlier. Uh, I thought in Marquise Brown's absence last night, he really played well. He's not the biggest guy in the world, as uh, Barry, I think you mentioned off air before we started, but he showed a lot of signs that he can be one of those guys that's a, a top-level receiver in this offense. That was encouraging. I did like that. Um, I tend to think they're probably going to be okay at receiver. They um, should be with they've got the, the guys coming Theo in and Weiss the guys and, and the guys that's Bridges been playing. Coming in. Yeah, they just got all kinds of talent. So I think they're going. Calcaterra is back for another year, and he's a heck of a catch maker. So, um, I. You know, I, I thought Kennedy Brooks was really good again last night. Everybody knows I love Trey Sermon, but Kennedy Brooks was good. I think T.J. Pledger. So the ball handlers are going to be fine, I think. The, de- the whole dang offense is going to be fine. If you ask me what excites me about who's returning, my answer is Lincoln Riley. <laughs> so I, if he's back, i got no problems about the offense. Um, it's that defense. I just, I just worry about that defense. Yeah. So we'll uh... – wrap it up for there because i have a feeling if we continue down another path we might be here for another uh 45 minutes barry you were going to say something probably smart uh no i was gonna be i was playing by the rules i'm fine <laughs> i got uh, besides i got a plane to catch i got I, I gotta go to jupiter check out a check out a defensive tackle <laughs> all right barry well uh enjoy your recruiting trip uh hope everybody has a uh, safe travels home uh, from the bowl trip but uh thank you so much for taking time to to listen to the nonfiction writers not only tonight but throughout the season and and we'll be back i think uh pretty soon with uh, more just overall season wrap-up stuff and certainly looking ahead when oklahoma uh solidifies its defensive staff but uh thank you so much for joining us you can check out our work every day at newsok.com and every morning in the oklahoma for the best OU coverage. Journal.